Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the I Want to Party with Bob podcast. Tonight's topic, tonight's subject, uh, Bob Toberfest continues here in I Want to Party with Bob Land with uh, Disneyland's Haunted Mansion. This is a very near and dear to my heart, I guess I should say. You know, it's funny, one of my first memories as a human being, I am a human being, by the way, uh, was of standing in line for the Haunted Mansion at Walt Disney World in Florida. We lived, you know, I grew up in New Jersey. We moved to California in 1978, and I've been here ever since. But at the time, uh, we would go on vacation once a year. Usually, you know, alternating years, we would go to Disney World for a whole week. And what a what a fantastic time that was for a three-year-old kid. And on, you know, I didn't stay three for eight years. Anyway, yeah. So... Yeah, one of my first memories as a human being is standing in line for the Haunted Mansion at Disney World, uh, crying and freaking out, and my dad telling me, it's not real, don't worry, nah, you're fine, you're fine, it's not real. Well, yeah, have you ever tried to tell a three-year-old kid that something's not real when they think it's real? That their brains aren't, like, done yet. You know, they've got a ways to go, so it just doesn't really get through it. But I do remember actually going on the ride and being cool with it and all that stuff, like, being a little scared, but, you know, it, it uh, yeah, it's traumatizing. You know, my first memory is fairly traumatizing now that I think about it. That's kind of, that's gnarly. Wow, I just did a little therapy on myself here on the podcast. That's good. So, I do love the Haunted Mansion. That's why I'm talking about it. If I didn't like it, I wouldn't talk about it, I guess. But it it is the, the just one of the best amusement park rides in the entire world. I mean, I almost think it's like the best. I do love it. I love everything about it. I love the song. I love, you know, the ride itself, the effects, even though they're fairly old, there's some updated stuff. We'll get to that. There's, there's a lot that I'm going to talk about tonight. So the basics, what what we're going to do here, uh, first do a little history of, uh, the founding of Disneyland, the beginning of Disneyland, and then the creation of the Haunted Mansion, that whole story. And then, you know, the last thing we'll do as far as the Haunted Mansion goes is uh, kind of a, a walkthrough and interspersed throughout this little walkthrough thing here. And, and also the, the creation of the Haunted Mansion, that, that part of the story. We're going to talk about uh, some trivia things. Ooh, some very interesting trivia, actually. And uh, some true ghost stories from the Haunted Mansion, you know, usually reported by cast members that work there. I have a great story from uh, Jessica of Danger Incorporated, the band Danger Incorporated from Sacramento, California. A fantastic band. They're going to be on the podcast at some point, I'm sure. I hope, you know, I'm trying to work that out with her and get that set up so we'll be talking to them at some some point, I'm sure. I love the band. They're a great band. And she's super cool. Like, she sent me... Uh, a great email with some cool stories. So those are going to be on here a little bit later. And tonight's musical guest on the Bobcast show, uh, you know, is City Mouse. And the name of the song is Grave 13. I thought it was a little applicable to what we're doing here. I noticed I did not play a song from Haunted Mansion. You know, Disney people, if I'm sure one of your army of lawyers has probably saw, oh, this guy did a podcast about the Haunted Mansion. Let's listen to it. Okay, well, maybe not. But anyways, I didn't 
play an actual song because I don't want to get a cease and desist letter from Disney, which I'm sure would probably happen. So sorry about that. But, you know, that was kind of a preemptive uh, caution on my part. I realized that. So, yeah, not going to do that. Not going to have to go back and edit it and go, fuck, okay, here's a re-edited version of the podcast because I had to take the song out because... Disney owns every goddamn media outlet in the entire world now, basically, it seems like. And eventually, I'm not even going to be able to play Tilt Wheel songs because well, they won't even, they won't, even Disney wouldn't buy that shit. So, haha. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, tonight also is brought to you by one of my favorite beers. You know, brought to you in part by, I should say, uh, Harvest Pumpkin Wheat of. The not-so-fine people of Blue Moon Brewing, um, which is a subsidiary of Coors, which are some truly horrible uh, right-wing people that um, donate to a lot of money to some really shitty causes. So, yeah, uh, I shouldn't even drink. Oh, it's delicious. It is. It, it, it's my. It's like my favorite pumpkin beer. It, it's fairly reasonably priced, you know. Uh, I've been drinking it since I first met it. I, I do, since I first met it. Oh, the beer. <laughs> okay, yeah, this is going to be a long night. So uh, the uh, the Harvest Pumpkin Wheat is very delicious. I am a big fan of pumpkin beers in most of their forms. I've had some pretty bad ones, but this one's really good. Even though it's a shitty company, uh, it's a great beer. So here we go. You know, let's let's check it out. Oh yeah, it hits the spot. I mean, it's it's got everything it says it's got pumpkin um, or some kind of squash. I've heard they don't use real pumpkin in it. Maybe they do. I don't know. It's very sweet though. It's very sugary, and you got to be careful with this beer because it will give you a vicious hangover if you drink too many of them. I think because of all the sugar they dump into it. So note that you know, put that in your little beer guidebook or whatever while you're you know, combing your beard and fixing your fedora kind of thing. If you're one of those craft beer well, dudes, yeah, not, not to talk shit. I'm trying to get sponsored by a brewery, man. Don't talk shit about people who, the brewery people. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Good. Good. So city mouse. Yes. City mouse. Misky. Misky D Rodriguez of city mouse. I met her in, I think it was around August of 2011. Um, she volunteered to drive tilt wheel to in her van the her city mouse van to a couple shows up in the bay area and uh we had a show at gilman in berkeley and then we had a show in sacramento for punch and pie fest this big you know two-day music festival thing they did up there kind of um <coughs> excuse me i'm still fighting like some kind of cold cough bronchitis i don't know what the fuck it is but anyways uh, i am gonna probably cough every once in a while i'm not my apologies uh, had a great time on that trip. Misky's a rad person. City Mouse is a, truly like an incredible band too. So, um, that being said, the song that we're going to play, we again, the Royal, we, uh, I know I always say that the song that I'm going to play is called grave 13. It's off of a split with the murder burgers. Um, they did this in 2018 and it's on it's alive and brass neck records. The uh, let's talk a little bit about City Mouse while I got you here. That's great. Okay, City Mouse started around 2001 in Lexington, Kentucky. Now, uh, 
Misky told me, you know, she wrote the first City Mouse song while she was hanging out with a friend in Riverside uh, before the actual band started. Now, she she grew up in Southern California and at some point moved to Kentucky. So uh, she lived, she told me she lived in Lexington, Kentucky from somewhere around 2001 to about 2008, then moved out to Riverside from 08 to about 2014. Then moved to Michigan from 2014 to 2019. Now she lives in Tampa. M- Misky is a traveling person, very much so. And the, it's uh, she's all over the place, man. It's crazy. They tour like all the time, too. City Mouse does. So it's good. You, you get a chance to see them. Go see them, for sure, because they're a phenomenal band. I mean, Misky is really the guts of the band, for sure. She kind of has like a revolving cast of people that tour with her and play and record with her. You know, she pulls from a pool she said for of about like six to eight people i know uh davy of tilt wheel is in city mouse you know at certain times when it works out and mike eckle who used to play bass in tilt wheel uh, by the way i miss you eckle why don't you call me sometime he disappeared at one point and moved to florida and i haven't talked to him since then so anyways uh eckle played in city mouse for a while as well so um Bisky, her first lineup was justin thompson k godsey and Mark Borders in the very first inaugural edition of City Mouse. Now it's basically, like I said, kind of this revolving cast of people, whoever can go out on tour with her. Um, She's going out to tour on another tour again uh, around the time of the Gainesville Fest this year in just a couple weeks, so at the end of October, uh, going out for a whole month. So, yeah, man, she's a road warrior, dude. Like, she tours constantly. It's pretty, pretty great. I'm... I'm not the kind of person that can handle that, you know, but yeah, man, and more power to anybody who can, because she's like, just goes and goes and goes. So uh, releases that City Mouse have, they have one full length record called Get Rights, came out in 2018, a couple split seven inches and a flexi. She said they should be recording a new record, a new full length record sometime summer of 2020. So I very much look forward to that. It's a great song that we're going to play at the end. I love it. It's it kind of, you know, it's a little on the morbid side, which is perfect for the podcast. So I I thought it was a great fit. Um, one question I have been asking most bands whose songs I play on the podcast lately is, where where would you say the best burrito you've ever had is? Because that's a goddamn important subject and something that I think the world needs to know. So, you know, you know, so-and-so from this band says, okay, the best burrito was at this place. Now, Misky had a pretty surprising answer for me. Where she says the best burrito she's ever had was a place called La Patron in Chicago. And it was a carne asada burrito. Which carne asada burrito? I don't, you know, I don't eat, I stopped eating meat, I don't know, what, like seven months ago or something like that, or almost seven months, six months, whatever. I, I do miss carne asada. I just can't bear the thought of, like, the way they kill fucking animals i'm sorry that's my that's just me i'm not here to convert you i'm just here to talk to you about things that i like right okay so i'll stop um, i said well why is that why was that the best burrito you've ever had she said that it was just the carne asada was perfect grilled to perfection and also the restaurant uh, was a bring your own beer kind of situation where you could bring your own alcohol into the restaurant and she said so you know, you could roll in with like six people in a 30 pack and get fucked up and have a delicious burrito. I, uh, now I get it. Now I completely understand why you would say that's the, one of the best burritos or the best burrito you've ever had. Good answer, Missy. Good one. Good one. Uh, 
she did tell me second best burrito is basically anything that you can get in San Diego. Amen to that. You know, I it's uh that's that's kind of a no-brainer. San Diego does have the best burritos in the world, in my humble opinion. Thank you. All right, thanks a lot, Misky. I want to say so on, on the once this is all said and done, I'll have links to City Mouse's Bandcamp on the website. Um, you know, check them out. They've got she has a ton of videos up on YouTube. Um, I mean, great band. I absolutely love City Mouse, so definitely check them out. And song at the end. So, all right. So let's talk. Uh, let's move on to the haunted mansion now. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me wet my whistle before we get into this because this one, I've got a lot. You hear that? That's all the papers that I have. You know my my script. Um, should I tell you how many pages it is? Yeah, it's fifteen fucking pages of stuff. So, I guess I should stop beating around the bush and get to it. If you know so nobody falls asleep in the middle of this podcast when they listen to it. But what we're going to talk about right now is um, the pre-planning of, of Disneyland and the development of the Haunted Mansion. This is actually really interesting history, too. I just said I was going to wet my whistle. Let me let me do that. Uh, Welcome aboard. Burp. There you go. Oh, yeah. God damn. That, I love that pump. Dude, that Blue Moon Pumpkin, it's, it's so good. It's so good, and I feel so bad for drinking it. I really do. I do. I, I just do. All right, so in 1951, Walt Disney tasked uh, the Walt Disney Studios art director, Harper Goff, to create some designs for a place he was, gonna, he was thinking of calling Mickey Mouse Park. Now, where he was thinking of locating this was going to be right across the street from the Walt Disney Studios in Burbank on an 11-acre lot. There was going to be, you know, the idea was Harper Goff came up with, and Disney was also kind of powwowing with him on this, like a Main Street type of thing, like they actually have at Disneyland now, um, a train that went around the whole park, a Western Village, and, you know, a few other things like a bandstand and carnival games and stuff. Um, now, Disney wanted to build this park, this theme park. He, and this this is something I've known for a long time. I, you know, I've read like a biography of Disney and, this and that and it, it's a, a pretty known fact like he says he was very unhappy with the way that all the theme parks and or you know anything like a theme park would be where he could take his two daughters It like going to um, some amusement park or something sitting on a bench and there's melted ice cream on the bench popcorn all over the ground you know bird shit everywhere um, dirty like just a bunch of nasty people hanging around like drunks and this and that. So he wanted to make a place that was clean and nice and safe and family friendly. That was kind of his goal with that little magic kind of Disney touch. So, you know, the only thing I was thinking is like, what amusement parks were there back then? Like, I know Santa Monica Pier was there. And I have a feeling he might have been talking about that when he was talking about taking his kids to like an amusement park sitting on a bench and there's like all this shit on the ground all over because yeah the periods I mean I don't know I was there earlier this year and it's not bad but I don't know, maybe it was extra nasty back then I don't know who knows you know I know there were a shitload of people there man and it's not that big so yeah anyway eventually Walt Disney realized that the 11 acre lot you know based on the designs that they were coming up with was not going to be enough 
so he decided, okay, well, I'm going to fully staff, um, you know, make build like a task force more or less to come up with um, plans for Disneyland, right? So 1952, he formed uh, WED Enterprises, which stands for Walter Elias Disney Enterprises. That was his full name. And their job was to develop a full-on plan for a theme park, um, which, of course, would become Disneyland. In 1953, they bought the, the lot, the, the uh, 160-acre Orange Grove in Anaheim, that lot that was going to become Disneyland. The first Imagineers. Now, this is important. This is why Disneyland, I think, is set apart so much from any place else. The very first guys that were would work on ride design and designing the theme park and everything, they were all people that made movies, okay? They, you know, when they were building, like, a, a ride, say they're building, working on, like, the design for Snow White's ride, they would storyboard the whole thing. They would go through and, you know... Um, everything at Disneyland, like all these rides, they're basically like movie sets that you're traveling through, you know, very um, different than really anything else that that was out at the time. It was really groundbreaking. So the key to that in my mind, especially is that these guys were all, you know, all these people that worked on the design of the park, they were all from movies. So they understood lighting, they understood set design, they did storyboarding to, you know, there's like a beginning and an end, kind of a, you know, set everything up in a very movie-like way, which kind of made it cooler than anything else that had happened to to date as far as an amusement park goes. So um, now the Haunted Mansion, that's what we're here to talk about. <coughs> that's enough of the early history of Disneyland. Obviously, though, the, the um, you know, the, the formation of history of Disneyland, um, the mansion, Haunted Mansion, wouldn't be there without Disneyland. So I had to get that out of the way. You know, there you thank you for bearing with me. That's great. Um, the Haunted Mansion, the first time they were thinking about building a Haunted Mansion, there's an Imagineer named uh, Marvin Davis, and Harper Goff drew up this plan that he came up with, and it was going to be a church. Kind of the, the idea was kind of at the end of Main Street, there's going to be a church with a graveyard, and up behind it, up on a hill behind this church, would be a haunted house attraction. So... Uh, you know, Disney had veto power over anything that anybody decide, wanted to do with his theme park. or if, And as a matter of fact, with any of his movies, too. I mean, any Disney movie, Disney, Walt Disney himself was the ultimate power. Like, you had to kind of go to him or through him to get anything clear to actually make it happen. So they ran this, uh, you know, before Walt Disney and said, hey, hey, check this out. This is something that we think we might want to do. And he said, nah, let's not do that for now. So, okay. Well, that's before Disneyland got built and everything, or they started construction, so that never happened. Um, so Disneyland opened, uh, 1955. Let's talk a little bit about the very first guest of Disneyland. It's a, it's an interesting story because the first guest of Disneyland and I have something in common. That's pretty interesting. Let me see if I can find my little note about it. Oh yeah, here it is. Uh, the very first paying guest of Disneyland. Actually, his name was Dave McPherson. He was from the McPherson. See, well, that's me. I want to party with Bob McPherson. Yeah, that's that's me. Hey, maybe he's like a long lost cousin. I don't think so. But he's got a pretty sweet deal. So check this out. All right, Dave McPherson. He was from Long Beach. Uh, he was 22 at the time. 
he Disneyland the first day it opened, the very first day it opened, was only open to like guests of the people who worked there, who designed it or whatever, um, the media, celebrities. So the second day Disneyland was actually open is the day the general public was able to, were able to buy tickets and get in. So this guy lined up at 1 or 2 a.m. the night before, um, and it, he, there were 6,000 people lined up to get in, to, to buy tickets to get into Disneyland. Um, he uh, bought his ticket to get in for a dollar. One dollar. You know how much it costs to go to Disneyland now? The cheapest ticket you can get, like off season, is 99 bucks. Now, back then, you bought your general admission ticket and then you had to buy the A through E tickets to go on rides, right? I don't, they may not even have had, like when it first opened, E tickets. I'm not sure because they, did, they didn't have all the gnarly rides that they did, you know, built through the years. But yeah, they probably did. I don't know. I didn't really research that. So let's say. What was a dollar in 1955? What would that be worth today with inflation? Uh, $9.41. So, yeah, costs less than 10 fucking dollars in today's money to get into Disneyland. Isn't that that just a kick in the fucking pants? Because, like, the last time we went to Disneyland, which was earlier this year in June to go to Star Wars Land, um, I had given up my annual pass, which I had had for over 10 years, because it was getting stupid expensive, over sixty bucks a month just for my pass. The our whole family is almost two hundred bucks a month to keep our passes. So it wasn't worth it, you know. Ten bucks, ten, ten fucking dollars. You know, I paid a hundred and fifty bucks because it was summertime. It was in June, a hundred and fifty dollars. Like Jesus Christ, man! No wonder I don't. Yeah, God, I don't even want to talk about Disneyland anymore. I'm pissed now. I'm kidding. I do want to talk about it. So this dude, okay, Dave McPherson, buys this, you know, purchases the very first general admission ticket. He has a, he, the dude's like 80 years old now. He has a lifetime free entry pass to Disneyland that they mail him once a year. And it's good for him and up to three other people, three of his guests. And he goes all the time. He loves it. So he, he said the reason why he, lined up like a crazy person, you know, at 2 a.m. the day before he got in there is because he wanted to be the first regular guy to go in through the front door of Disneyland. Well, good for him. Good job, Dave McPherson. Um, Side note story, and uh, there you go. So let's carry on with uh, the Haunted Mansion. Uh, In 1958, here's the thing. Okay, this is another quick side note. Here's the thing. Disneyland is an ever-growing, ever-evolving thing, and that's how Walt Disney envisioned it, that he always wanted to add new stuff, get rid of stuff that nobody liked anymore that was dated or, you know, whatever, or update it to make it, um, you know, match the technologies of the times or however you want to say it. Um, So in 1958, Disneyland had been open for three years, right? They decided they were going to build something called New Orleans Square, Um. Walt Disney himself announced it, and I believe he did it on The Wonderful World of Disney, the TV show that he had that was out every Sunday night, Friday or Sunday. I don't know they changed it at some point. But um, the centerpiece of New Orleans Square was going to be a haunted house. So at one point, Disney, I believe he was on tour in Europe, um, in England specifically, and he mentioned during an interview that he wanted to build a retirement home for all of the world's ghosts. Uh, 
that's you gotta love Walt Disney and his like imagination. The dude, you know, he wasn't like a really good artist or anything like that, but God, he had an amazing, amazing imagination, didn't he? I mean, he he's responsible for all this early stuff. Not a hundred percent, I mean, as far as like, you know, the nuts and bolts of the designs and stuff. But he'd throw ideas out to them, and they'd go, oh, God, why didn't I think of that? Like, that's great. Thanks, Walt. And they'd go design it, bring it back to him, and he'd say, okay, that's what I was talking about. You know, thank you. So, yeah, he he was very inspirational. And also, apparently, he was, like, kind of a tyrant to his employees, too, because he worked them really, really fucking hard. But anyways, that's another story. So you got to love the dude's imagination, though. He was a creative, like, the powerhouse, man, truly. Um, so... Uh, Walt appointed uh, a guy from the studio by the name of Ken Anderson to the, the project for the, this haunted house attraction, right? So it, Ken Anderson went through, he's looking for ideas of what to make this mansion look like. And he found a picture of a place called uh, the Shipley uh, Lidecker House in Baltimore, Maryland. And that book was in the WED uh, library. And, they, you know, I had a bunch of reference books that the guys could go and check out if they needed something. You know, they had an idea and they wanted to look at something, whatever. So he finds this house and it is literally like I'll, I, I should be posting a picture of this on the website. It is absolutely like pretty much identical to the exterior of the Haunted Mansion, especially the columns and kind of the upper part of the house. So. It's pretty crazy, but that's where the inspiration for the look came from, the Shipley Lidecker House in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, the Anderson started doing some sketches. He was an artist at, at Disney Studios, so when, and he got moved to WED or you know the theme park side of things, the Imagineering side of things. Um, started doing some sketches and it, of the mansion, kind of like a rundown like looking place out in the bayou kind of thing. Um, and now a gentleman by the name of Sam McKim, who is another Imagineer for WED, did a painting based on the sketch that Anderson made. And that's the official portrait of the Haunted Mansion. And this is well before. This is in 1958. So it's well before the mansion even got built and opened to the public. I mean, didn't open to the public till 1969. We're going to work our way through to that. So don't worry about that. Um, Walt didn't like. Now, even though that became the official portrait of the Haunted Mansion, Walt did not like kind of the rundown like appearance of the the grounds, you know. So that's that's something here we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, well, actually, you know what? Let's talk about it right now. Yeah, why did I say that? Anyways, yeah, I think I need another drink of this delicious pumpkin ale. Oh man, you know, guys, people at the Coors family, if you're if you decide to give up you know, donating some money to some mega church somewhere or whatever that tries to like keep gay people down. Um, why don't you throw me some beer for free? That'd be fantastic. Uh, I don't think I would honestly accept a sponsorship from them. Not that that would ever happen, but you know, no, I, I do have morals actually. So, um, yeah, so regardless, Walt didn't really like kind of the appearance of this picture even though it's weird it's like uh, well it became like the official portrait of the mansion that they used for everything you know well, whatever okay um so he told his guys he said yeah you know he said we'll take care of the outside we'll let the ghosts take care of the inside okay all right good now here's another key moment uh ken anderson as he's working on developing the hit the, the haunted mansion 
uh, visited the Winchester House in San Jose for inspiration. And a lot of things in the Haunted Mansion, there are like little things here and there that kind of uh, carried through that. So Winchester House was a big inspiration for it. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? Um, after that, you know, they kind of got the outside of the mansion, how it, how it was going to look dialed in. Um, they got, you know, the idea that the outside was going to be nice. The inside was going to be like a haunted house, right? So he started thinking about uh, what kind of story are we going to tell? We need a good ghost story. So um, the one thing to note about Ken Anderson that's really cool. Ken Anderson was the lead designer on Snow White and Mr. Toad. Now, those rides are both called dark rides. And they're not called dark rides because, like, they're morbid or scary. I mean, there are parts in Snow White and in Mr. Toad's. Mr. Toad's, you go to hell, basically. <clears throat> that's one of that's that, and that's one of my favorite rides at Disneyland as well, by the way. Um, and Snow White's a great ride too. That that ride is kind of scary. It's called Snow White Scary Adventures. Oh, uh, yeah, you would think it'd be a little scary. Um, they're called dark rides because they're inside, and the, you know, you go kind of from scene to scene through these things. Um, and dark rides are kind of a hallmark of Disney and how they tell stories through their rides. So yeah, so Ken Anderson worked on those pretty good. Yeah, so he's a he was a gnarly dude. He was pretty good. Um, he, Anderson started writing some stories about what they wanted this haunted house to be about. He wrote a whole story about a sea captain named uh, named pardon me Captain Gore, and it was about Captain Gore and his bride. Now this is going to be a walking attraction where you went in and you walked and you know whatever. Uh, this guy, Captain Gore killed his young bride, like threw her down a well. And they were going to talk all about that. Okay. Well, that didn't make it obviously. Second idea he had was to call it, uh, Bloodmere Manor. And that was again, another like walking attraction. Now that also failed too. I, you know, I'm not going to talk too much about that at all, but both of the ideas of these things, you know, this, this Captain Gore thing, this Bloodmere Manor, some aspects of them did carry through to the finished product. Um, the, here's one of the things, the Bloodmere Manor. One part of that story was that, you know, this is an old house and a construction crews came in and they were like fixing it up. And one of the guys got walled in um, to the mansion or the manor. Um, now, at the very end of the actual Haunted Mansion ride, you see in the graveyard scene, you see like a disembodied arm with um you know, actually bricking himself into a crypt kind of thing. So that kind of the little things like that carried through. And that's kind of going to go on a lot through this whole thing. So um, Anderson had another idea that he would have Walt Disney himself or a recording of him welcome people to this haunted house. And then there would be this this, you know, what they call a lonesome ghost would lead the tour through the a walking tour through the mansion. And that was his, that was his third idea. Kind of that version of his story had a, a much lighter tone than the other two. The other two were pretty morbid, morbid and scary. I would, I guess you would say. So, um, you know, at one point of the, uh, the development that uh, were one of his stories, he had a version of the haunted mansion where at the very end, the headless, the headless horseman, appeared in a graveyard okay see at the very end of the ride okay there is a headless guy there was not a headless horseman but the graveyard being the very end of the haunted mansion attraction that idea that was made you know in like 1958 or 59 or whatever 
that carried through to the actual attraction. So uh, pretty cool. So the haunted the 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 headless horseman thing that was based on uh, 1949's The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Um, it's it's pretty interesting to note, you know, how much Disney really like when they're building or working on something, how much they just like keep every aspect of it um, like archived and recorded and written down and like, you know, so because a lot of like I said, a lot of this stuff they came back to and actually used. So um, at that point, Disney, this project starting to kind of gain steam. So Disney attached uh, two more artists from the studio side. He uh, signed Raleigh Crump and Yale Gracie to the project. And that was in 1959. Um, those two guys developed a few things that actually did carry through to the, the final ride. These guys were on the project till pretty close to the end anyway. So, um, you know, Raleigh Crump and Yale Gracie came up with the, the busts in the portrait corridor after you um, go through the stretching room and yada yada that kind of follow you around. They came up with the what they call the Leota effect. Mm, and that's for Madame Leota, the, the crystal ball, the lady in the crystal ball floating around the room kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> so, okay he assigned these guys to it and they came up with a few things, but for some reason, Walt Disney, he wasn't entirely sold on the whole thing. So by the end of 1959, he put the whole project on hold. He said, okay, you know what? Let's put this on hold. I want you guys to work on some other stuff. So he, the biggest thing was that he didn't like, he did not like that you had to walk through the attraction. That was something he was not excited about but at the time they didn't have the technology really or they hadn't quite sorted out how they were going to get people to go through this attraction Um, one idea was they're going to make it like a Pirates of the Caribbean type ride where you're on a boat so wouldn't that be weird the Haunted Mansion like boat ride I don't know it might be kind of cool it would that idea was like well it's going to be like this house in the bayou that's like partially submerged in a swamp and you're cruising through the swamp in a boat and ghosts boo ah you know whatever um, so in 59, he shut it down for a while, but in 1961, um, New Orleans square and the haunted mansion, that whole thing came back into full swing as far as getting it all set up. So it, Disney wanted New Orleans square and the mansion done and finished and open to the public by 1963. Um, they started construction of New Orleans square in 61. So by 1963, they did build the Haunted Mansion, the exterior building, the actual mansion itself was done, but there was nothing inside. Now, the ride, and you know, we'll get into this in a little bit, a little bit more. The actual ride part, you go underground and then you go out past the railroad tracks into what they call the show building is on the other side of the railroad tracks. So it's, it was outside of the park proper at the time. So, yeah, because it's too big. It wouldn't fit inside of that little house. You know, even though it's a giant house, the ride's really big. So, anyway. Um, the By 1964, they stopped working on the mansion project again. This See, this is what's really crazy about it. The Haunted Mansion stops and starts a bunch of times. Like, Disney go, okay, work on it. Uh, you guys aren't really getting anywhere or doing what I want you to do. So, that, stop. I want you to work on something else. So, that happened a few times. They set it aside in 1964 so those guys could go work on stuff for the World's Fair project from 1964 and 1965. That um, 
Ken Anderson actually got moved back to the animation department to work on a movie. I'm not sure which one, but um, the um, after the World's Fair thing, Disney got a couple more. He got Mark Davis and Claude Coates to come on board the mansion project. Um, those two guys were the ones that actually came up more or less with the finished product. They now they kept a lot of ideas from Raleigh Crump, Ken Anderson, um, and Yale Gracie throughout the whole thing. But Davis and Coates were the two main designers of the Haunted Mansion and their touch, their signatures are all over the whole thing, obviously. Um, no notable about Mark Davis was Mark and Mark, by the way, Mark Davis is like my favorite artist. I love the way the guy draws, but um, he was the lead designer on the Tiki Room. Oh, very good. Um, in 1964, Davis gave the Haunted Mansion a whole new treatment, a whole new um, story idea kind of thing, and how his vision for it. And that had uh, that was the beginning of the ghost host being the one that kind of leads you on this tour through the mansion. Now, Mark Davis also introduced a few other things that ended up being in the final finished haunted mansion project. <coughs> Gosh, excuse me. Uh, the stretching room, the portrait room, um, the portrait gallery. When you first walk in the seance room where Madame Leota is uh, the dead, dead bride idea in the attic, uh, the room where the conservatory, where you see the garden, where the guy's trying to get out of the coffin. You know, a bit of that room, Okay. And the big uh, ghost party room. So, you know, let me just say real quick, too. I know I've been going for a little bit on this. I hope this isn't too dry. It, the history of it's really, really interesting. It's fascinating to me. I hope it carries through in the podcast with me talking about it. But I realize this part is a little bit on the drier side. Uh, just bear with me. It does get a lot more interesting here when we start talking about some of the actual hauntings that have been supposedly happened in the Haunted Mansion. Legit, real ghosts. Yeah. It's good stuff coming up, so bear with me, okay? Okay, thanks. I appreciate it. <clears throat> um, Claude Coates was working more on the designs for the interior of the mansion. Now, another key player is about to join the project in 1965. A gentleman by the name of Xavier Atencio went to work for WED. Now, he's the guy who wrote the script for uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, so... The dude knew what he was doing because that writes fantastic, right? Um, I'm going to refer to him as X from now on because it's easier than San Xavier, I guess. I don't know. And I'm lazy. So, yeah, there you go. Um, X started working on a script or, you know, all the, the kind of planning stuff for the Haunted Mansion, like the overall kind of picture of the whole thing. So, um, you know, note, too, um, that Raleigh Crump and Yale Gracie were still key part of this whole thing, okay? So it's important, but... Um, the guys, it was, it was X, Mark Davis, Yale Gracie and Raleigh Crump, um, and Claude Coates were all working on the project still. So anyway, yeah, there you go. Um, they all kind of pitched their own versions. This is the kind of the weird thing, um, of what they wanted the Haunted Mansion to be to Walt Disney himself. So, um, Raleigh Crump, one of his ideas was the Museum of the Weird, which he had, there were a bunch of crazy drawings and you know uh, all this kind of you know ideas for what he wanted it to be and the museum of the weird thing has been one of those things that's been like a um, kind of a thing of myth you know in the the shrouded past like oh they were going to make it like a museum of the weird it's really cool some of the drawings were super cool and some of those ideas did make it through to the end so um, that stuff is super super rad 
yeah, Raleigh Crump's like concept art is really great. I love it. So I don't know if I'll post any pictures of it or not, but you can look it up. Raleigh Crump Haunted Mansion concept art. Just Google it. Though you'll see a bunch of cool stuff. So uh, Raleigh Crump's the guy who came up with the uh, the floating candelabra in the endless hallway in one scene in the Haunted Mansion. So and also the his idea was for the paintings that changed in the portrait gallery in the after you you know go in the stretching room and first come out to the loading area for the doom buggies he came up with that idea so yeah and he also worked on the ghost host stuff now the biggest blow to the development of the haunted mansion happened on december 15th 1966 and walt disney died Um, so disney really was like the driving force behind everything disney from the movies to TV stuff, to the theme park, you know, to Disneyland itself, everything kind of went through him. So that was a huge blow to any kind of development, any kind of anything that they would do um, for, you know, the animation studio, the live action stuff, Disneyland itself, Disney, he was the main dude. So, um, yeah, that was a pretty big blow. Now, interesting fact and here's where we're going to get to our very first ghost story the supposedly real ghost story of disneyland is uh walt disney's ghost supposedly does still like to hang out at disneyland there's he had his own private apartment um on main street at the very beginning of main street after you walk through the gates right above the fire station so in in this apartment at one time you know not terribly long after he died, I guess, a cast member went in and turned the light off for the night. Well, it came back a couple hours later, and the light was on again. And they were like, what the fuck? Okay, so turned it off, came back, same thing. Light came back on again. So one of the times she went in there to you know, shut the light off again, she heard a voice that said, I am still here. And it was supposedly was Disney's voice. So now... They don't ever shut that light off. They leave it on. It burns 24-7. So, yeah, it for Walt Disney because apparently he still needs to read, like, the, the racing form or something while he's sitting on the ghost toilet. I, I don't know. <coughs> so, yeah, Disney is supposedly a ghost at uh, Disneyland. Pretty interesting, right? Yeah, I like that one. Um, Yeah, so they lost their final decision-making guy. So, it, you know, it, at this point... um. Haunted Mansion still hadn't, they weren't done designing it. They were still working on designing it. That's 1966. This thing was supposed to have been open in 1963, but the delays and yada, yada, yada. So uh, finally, they they got a guy named Richard Irvine. He was the vice president of WD. Um, he became the guy that had the final say. So they that really put everything back on track. Um he put Mark Davis and Claude Coates in 100% like charge of the project with him having the final say um, because he loved what they did with Pirates of the Caribbean. And they did do, that's a phenomenal ride, great ride. Um, now, Davis and Coates had their own little issues. They disagreed on whether the Haunted Mansion should be scary. That was Claude Coates wanted it to be scary or funny. And that was Mark Davis wanted it to be more on the funny side. Now, in the end... Um, Mark Davis won. Mark Davis with the idea of the mansion being more funny and silly than scary and spooky, like legitimately scary and spooky. Davis was the winner of the day. So 
And I love it. I love the way it came out. I would be happy with it either way, I think, really, because I like either aspect of it. I do like kind of the goofy, creepy, you know, Adam's Family, Monsters, stuff like that. But huge fan. Huge, huge fan. But, yeah. So I'm glad Davis won, though, because he, he really put a lot of the charm in the Haunted Mansion, I think, for me. Um, this, this conflict, though, that between Claude Coates and Mark Davis... That's kind of why the Haunted Mansion doesn't have like a linear storyline. Like it's not, you know, the first treatments, the first ideas for the story were, oh, it's going to be about the sea captain and he does this and that. Well, there is not really like anything like that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it's more or less kind of a conglomeration of stuff thrown together. Um, there's a slight kind of, you know, there there are acts to the story, which we'll get to, but... Yeah, that's kind of because these two guys couldn't really agree on too much. Um, that's why there's no linear story, which is pretty interesting. So uh, in 1967, they developed a transportation system to take guests through rides called the Omnimover. Um, first use of that, I believe, I think they might have used it in one of the World's Fair things. I think they had uh, Adventure Through Inner Space was one of the things. And that's where Star Tours is now in Tomorrowland. That ride was there, but I believe they debuted that at that World's Fair at 64. Oh, no, 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 they couldn't have because they didn't. Yeah, fuck, never mind. I'll edit that out. Nah, probably not. Yeah, just leave my mistakes in here for everybody to see. You know, oh, look at this Bob guy. He's fucking talking out his ass again. I know. I know. That's what I do. Um, yeah, so the Omnimover, Adventure Through Inner Space, so the, the most boring ride at Disneyland. I don't know why anybody looks on that and goes like, oh, I missed that ride. They should put that back. No, they shouldn't. That ride was stupid. You got on this thing, and they're like, oh, look, there's this is a snowflake, and it's fucking gigantic. And there was a giant, like, styrofoam snowflake, and you're going. The only reason I ever went on that ride was to get in the air conditioning, literally. Like, that was the only fucking reason. Like, on a hot day at Disneyland, you're like, oh, let's go on this. There's, like, one person in line for it. Sweet. You fucking hop out right on and go through. You, like, go through a microscope and shit. Oh, that was a stupid fucking ride. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, but, you know, these uh, Disney and nostalgia people, the same people that bitch about, wow, you know, they took the pirates trying to rape the uh, female citizens of the town. They're burning and pillaging. They're trying to rape them. They took that out. You know, that PC, oh, fucking SJW bullshit. No, no, no. You know what? I don't fucking give two shits about that. The ride still has the basic fun of it. You know, who cares? I understand it was a thing of the times or whatever, but... The point of it was, you know, the pirates were chasing these women because they wanted to rape them. And like, no, you, Disney's a family place, man. It's not. That's not cool. All right. My two cents. You think you are on the one. I want to fucking party with Bob podcast here. You're going to get my two cents and you're going to you're going to like it eh, or you're going to get it anyways. Yeah, you're going to get it. Smack you upside the head if you don't agree with me. I'm just kidding. Actually, I wouldn't do that to anybody. So um yeah, I'm the mover. Yeah, let's get back to let's get back to that. There's a little side fucking path that I just walked around Mount Everest instead of climbing it, apparently. Um they named them uh Doom Buggies. Get it? It's play on words. Uh, instead of Dune buggies, it's Doom. Doom buggies. Um the Doom buggies hold about three adult people sitting all in a row. Um, you know, there's like a the it's kinda like a uh chair capsule kind of thing like imagine like a pill maybe cut in half with like a hatch that opens up with a handrail on it and you sit your ass in there and it cruises you around so it's pretty cool um 
Now, with the the uh, invention of the Omnimover Doom, Doom Buggy, the Haunted Mansion finally became an actual like ride-through attraction rather than a walk-through attraction, which was good. Could you imagine going on the Haunted Mansion and having to walk through the whole thing? It'd be cool, but you know how fucking stupid people are you know when you go to disneyland like oh i'm gonna stop right in the middle of this path and like look at nothing like and you like barrel into him like god fuck man what like what do you do oh jesus yeah could you imagine doing that it'd be like a frustrating ride yeah so um one of the biggest things one of the biggest developments in the the building of the haunted mansion was the development of the song that song kind of holds glues that whole ride together for me personally the songs called grim grinning ghosts and uh x uh he wrote the song and it was set to music by one of the studio veteran guys named buddy baker um he wanted the sherman brothers to do it but i guess they told him, no no use don't use the sherman guys use you know they wrote all those crazy songs at mary poppins they wrote all the big huge hits for disney but um, Buddy Baker is awesome too. So he he actually made the music, wrote the music for Grim Grinning Ghosts. It's great, and that that song is featured from the very beginning of the, of the ride to the very end, basically. And it's all the same song, just in slightly different versions. So um, now, Axitensio, you know, he he kind of really put everything together at the very end of this right when they're getting ready to open this thing you know or when they're getting ready to actually start the the legit construction of everything he kind of put everything together um he made grim grinning ghosts he made it be kind of like a a light-hearted song kind of he wrote the yo-ho yo-ho the pirate's life for me song for pirates of the caribbean so um and that was to lighten the mood the whole purpose of that song disney wanted him to write a song that would kind of lighten the mood of these pirates more or less like raping and pillaging and burning down a town, right? And which would obviously mean like killing a bunch of fucking people too, right? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean it's it's implied in the ride. It's not shown, but that's the beauty of it. You know, it's an implied thing, and you get it. But you know, yo ho, yo ho, made it kind of this footloose and fancy free kind of thing. Oh, uh, it's, oh, pirates are having like, such a great time. Yeah, so it. Um, you know, they, the Grim Grinning Ghost goes through several different tempos and arrangements throughout the whole ride. And the purpose of why they did that was to manipulate the way you feel as you go through the ride. Like at the very beginning, when you first come in, um, into the first like kind of loading area, it's like a funeral dirge, right? And the ballroom scene, it's like a waltz. And in the very grand finale in the graveyard, it's like a, a, a up, you know, upbeat, like a the kind of a party song in a way like, right. This is a good party. The song's great to party. Um, yeah. And X was, he was, he was the one that wrote the actual show part. So what he did, he took Mark Davis's kind of funny stuff. Claude Coates kind of scary stuff. Um, Crump and Gracie's kind of effects that they had developed for the ride and com- put it all together. So he decided to use, go with the, the, the ghost host, idea to kind of lead you through the whole ride and it's kind of sort of kind of explain what's going on as you're going through so um one of the things now one of the reasons why the haunted mansion you know this kind of has always bothered me a tiny bit not really bad but what there's no actual like story it's like a makeshift storyline um for years before the, the actual ride itself got built while that building sat there empty the actual outside of the mansion 
there was a sign in front of the Haunted Mansion uh, that advertised the Haunted Mansion as a retirement home for spirits. So that was kind of that's kind of the main story of it is that the Haunted Mansion is a retirement home for ghosts. And this goes back to Walt Disney mentioning that years, years, years before it got built and all that. So it's, you know, it's a bunch of uh, like ghosts all hanging out in this retirement home. So, yeah, it's going to be a little like chaotic, right? Yeah, of course. So now there is, though, actually, and I, I kind of alluded to this a little earlier, there is actually a story in three parts of the Haunted Mansion. Now, Act One is basically, you know, the ghost host is setting this up for you, saying like, you know, oh, you know, hopefully you'll see some ghosts while you're here, right? So it's the anticipation of the arrival of the spirits or ghosts, right? Act Two is when the spirits materialize, and that happens once you go through Madame Leota's um, little seance room, okay? Yeah, it makes sense. If you've been on it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't, well, you need to go on it, so yeah. Uh, Act Three is the culmination of um, the whole thing of the spirits materializing and having a big party in the graveyard. So there you go. That's the basics. Um, construction finished on the Haunted Mansion. Uh, testing all got done. And uh, Haunted Mansion opened to the public on August 9th, 1969 to rousing success. Like it was a huge success from the very get-go. So, yeah, pretty cool, huh? So let's get to the good part then. That's what I'm thinking. I think it's about time. I think you guys deserve for me to get to some good stuff rather than just a history lesson, right? I, yeah? Okay. So I'm going to take you on a uh, an audio journey through the Haunted Mansion from start to end. And throughout that, there will be some trivia, some interesting little factoids uh, presented. And more importantly than that, there will be ghost stories about the actual ghosts, the real ghosts that live in the Haunted Mansion. Supposedly, I've never seen one. Maybe I have and thought it was part of the attraction. I don't know. I'll leave that up to you. Um, I'd like to imagine that these stories are true. It's pretty interesting. So um, so you enter the Haunted Mansion through a gate. You enter the grounds of the Haunted Mansion, pardon me. And as you walk through um, the very manicured and, and lovely grounds of this haunted as shit house, um, you walk through. The first thing you see now is a pet cemetery. So... Let's talk about, here's the first trivia thing I got for you, and the first ghost story, actually. Um, the Pet Cemetery and the Haunted Mansion, as it is today, is all got added, I believe, in, yeah, 1993. Um, originally, they built, there's another Pet Cemetery that you really couldn't see that was hidden. This was built in the 1980s, by the way, the first Pet Cemetery um, by Imagineer Kim Irvine, who was the daughter of Leota tombs who's the one who's madame leota okay that's pretty cool all right um this that original pet cemetery was generally only seen by people who were using the wheelchair ramp on the west side of the building kind of right next to where splash mountain is so general public didn't typically see that okay uh, there were only four tombstones in the original pet cemetery um and one kind of like a, a planter thing okay with the planter's key here now, here's the first ghost story. This planner will, at every once in a while, fall over, okay? The cast member will go over, and it's not like it's on unlevel ground or anything weird like that. It's it's the same 
material and basic size as the tombstones of the other the four pets that are in there um yeah nothing real weird about it or anything like that but it'll just keel over fall over they'll set it back up a few days later it falls over again so it always happens at night when nobody's around i guess so um, either that or uh, maybe it's i gotta say it you know i've gotta be honest here on the i want to party with bob podcast the uh they think maybe the ducks that live in the area might be knocking the planter over so fuck i like to think that it's a ghost because it makes it much more interesting than a bunch of ducks right so yeah so the um the the pet cemetery that is in on the grounds that you can see as you walk through the queue line was built like i said in 1993 um there's a bunch of pets there it's really cool i, I will post a couple of pictures of that on the site you know taken by me disney Guys, if you're listening, you know, I didn't steal any of your fucking pictures, okay? These are all taken by me, so they are my intellectual property, not yours, okay? I got that right out of the way, didn't I? I'd be stern with these people, you know, before they finish taking over the rest of the world. So, I have some freedom left, right? Yeah, fuck, freedom, America. Uh, there's, there's a couple dogs, a cat, a pig, a skunk, a bat, uh, a toad, and even more. So... There's a recent addition to that kind of the new pet cemetery in, in front of the mansion that you can see. Um, Sparky from Frankenweenie has a grave there, and the grave is disturbed. Ooh, like Sparky got d- dug up and taken back to get Frankenstein, right? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of a cool little thing. I loved the movie Frankenweenie. I didn't do very good in the theaters, but <coughs> I thought it was fantastic. I, I thought it was great. Um, also, there's... Um, I think a couple of his friends from the movie have tombstones there too. So, <coughs> gosh, excuse me, man. I'm, this cough is kicking my ass. I've been dealing with it for like over a week, and it's no fun. But anywho, so in that um, that original pet cemetery that was kind of hidden, the the original um, graves that were there, where there was a dog named Big Jake, uh, Stripey the Skunk, Bully the Toad. And Miss Kitty the Cat. And by the way, Bully the Toad, people will sneak over to it. And he's got um, like a little hole kind of where his mouth is. And people will stick cigarettes in the hole in his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty interesting, huh? So, yeah. Anyway, uh, that's it for the pet cemetery part. It's a pretty cool little story there, huh? All right. Yeah, I like it. So, the um, also near the entrance as you're walking up, if you take the actual, like, direct path straight to the front door of the Haunted Mansion, you walk past it. You walk past it regardless. There's a um, a white horse-drawn hearse there, and it's got that... You, know, you remember those um, dog leashes where you hold it and it looks like you're walking like an invisible dog? It's, like, supported in the air or whatever. I, I got one of those in, like, the 70s when we went to Disney World one time. It's my favorite fucking thing ever, like... Like, look at me, I'm walking a ghost dog. <laughs> okay, well, they put on this horse-drawn hearse, they put a, a trick like that, you know, the harness for the horses where they normally hitch up the harnesses. It's like that dog leash thing. It's pretty clever. Now, let me dispel something right now. That hearse, there is an urban myth or urban legend about it that that was the hearse that took Brigham Young to his final resting place, and that is not true, ding not true at all. So it's just a hearse they found at some like some antique dealer or something like that. So, okay. So, you know, also at one point up on the hill and kind of scattered about, there used to be tombstones 
that had references to the Imagineers who built and designed the ride and everything. And those are gone for the most part. But um, there are still, if you walk through, especially like the back part of the line where the kind of windy part, um, there are some crypts that you can see. um, And they have, they put like kind of funny names. The Imagineers were pretty funny dudes. They were jokers, right? So um, the crypts, a couple, two examples of the names, um, M.T. Tomb is a name on one of them, and I.L. Be Back. That's another funny stuff, right? All right, so from the grounds, you enter into what is called the foyer. Uh, that's where the ghost host starts talking to you. Now, the ghost host is voiced by Paul Fries, who was a voice actor who did a bunch of stuff for Disney, like he did um, Ludwig von Duck, and um, most notably, he did stuff for a lot of studios. Remember Rocky and Bullwinkle show? Paul Fries was the voice of Boris Badenoff. He did a lot of animation stuff. Dude's voice, very distinctive, very deep, um, typically. So when you hear it, you would know it. So just now that I said that, you're probably going to go, oh, that's Paul Fries. Oh, that's if, you know, well, I don't know. I watch like a lot of cartoons, dude. That's like my favorite, favorite thing to watch ever. So maybe you're normal, unlike me, and don't watch cartoons whenever you watch TV. Yeah. So I just admitted like something. I, yeah, anyway. <clears throat> So as you're in this foyer, also Grim Grin and Ghosts is playing, but it's very low and it's like this kind of funeral dirty song. It's a really creepy. Um, as you're standing in the room, a panel opens and then you walk into the stretching room uh, or what they also call it, the portrait chamber. Um, the uh, Let's give you a little trivia on that one too. Huh? Hey, we're, you know, we're going to throw some interesting stuff. Now, the stretching room. Let me ask you a question. Does the roof go up in the stretching room, or does the floor go down? Well, at Disneyland, it goes down, and here's why. Uh, The whole reason it goes down is because, like I kind of alluded to earlier, the the Haunted Mansion, the building is not big enough to to house the whole attraction. So what they do, you go, when you're in that stretching chamber, as the portraits are stretching, well, you're dropping. You're in a giant elevator, basically, that takes you underground, then you go kind of through like the portrait room and all this stuff or the uh, portrait hallway or whatever. That's like a tunnel that goes back under the railroad tracks and back into a big, huge building where the whole main part of the show is. So, yeah, it's an elevator. It goes down. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? <coughs> so, um, the, um, oh, my gosh. Ah, my coughing. This thing sucks. Now, it, the intro, yeah. I'm sorry, I admitted to that. You know, I'm not dying. I'm fine. Trust me. I'm not going to go join, you know, be the thousandth ghost at the Haunted Mansion with their 999 happy haunts, by the way. I'm fine. Okay. Let's get that out of the way. That Disney World, the Haunted Mansion at Disney World, the ceiling actually does raise because space was not a concern at Disney World. They had tons and tons of room. So, the, you know, that show building is hidden, but it's they didn't have to drop your ass underground to go through the whole ride. So, yeah, that room goes up. Disneyland, it's an elevator that goes down. So there you go. All right. Um, As after you drop down the, well, actually, here, one more important thing about the stretching room is, you know, the ghost host is kind of talking and there's all these paintings around that show, you know, these fairly stately-looking people. Um, There's four of them. And as they stretch, the scenes get, there's like, Three dudes drowning in quicksand. There's a dude standing on a lit 
barrel of dynamite. There's a lady sitting on a tombstone with an axe in her husband's head. And that there's a little thing that I'll tell you about a little bit on that too. Um, and there is a lady standing on a tightrope above like a snapping alligator or crocodile. So um, they change, right? So the um, after you take the elevator down, a panel slides open and you walk through what is called the portrait corridor. Now, to the left side of the portrait corridor is this is well, as you're walking towards where you actually get on the doom buggies. Uh, to the left side, there are a bunch of windows that go to the you know outside, and I just made that quotation sign with my hands, you know, because it, it's not really the outside; it's you're underground. You're it'd be dirt or whatever, but um, you know there's like some trees. It's like kind of this like spooky landscape, like lightning's going off. On the right side of that chamber um, are the changing portraits or paintings. Um, there's one of like a, a pirate or some kind of like pirate ship that turns into like a ghost ship. There's a, a lady, an ancient Greek lady that turns into like a Medusa. Uh, there's a dude, you know, a young dude turns into an old like corpsey zombie looking dude. That's like the kind of portrait of Dorian Gray reference that they threw in there. So and there's a knight on the horse and then they both turn into skeletons. So in that now that is timed as lightning strikes on the left side outside of the windows. That's timed with the portraits that they change and it kind of flickers and stuff. So it's a really really cool effect. They they just upped that uh, not terribly long ago. Also at the end of the portrait corridor as you're walking through, there are two you know marble busts. Now I, I did that quote thing with my fingers again. I know you can't see me do that, but I'm just letting you know that's what what's going on here. Um, they are recessed into the wall, and as you walk towards them, and if you kind of turn to one side, they kind of look like they follow you. So one of them is this kind of Roman-looking dude. The other one's like a very stern-looking older lady. Um, those the design of those were kind of like a happy ap- accident that Raleigh Crump came up with. Um, he was working on the animatronic for uh, Lincoln for the Hall of Presidents, right? And there was a mold where he was working. There was a mold of Lincoln's head, you know. So it was like a um, like a recessed thing, just like these two busts are in the Haunted Mansion. Uh, he walked past it. Him and Yale Gracie walked past it and noticed that as they walked past, that Lincoln seemed to kind of track them. So that's where that came from. Hey, pretty good, huh? Yeah, see, I I did my homework on this, you you guys. You know, I I did. I I really did. Um, for, I deserve a sip of beer. Thanks. Take a little pause that refreshes there. All right, so you know, after you pass the bus, you you end up walking into the actual like loading area where you get onto the Doom buggy. So, in this area, there are two ghost stories. Let's get those to you here first, because it's not really much to this spot. Um, I'll just tell you what it's like real quick. You kind of walk in, there's like cobwebs hanging around and stuff. And, um, you get onto your little doom buggy. One of the cool things that I, that I love about that spot is kind of the, uh, the queue line kind of, you know, like barriers, um, are these like velvet ropes and everyone, there are these rad, super rad, like bat sculptures on the top of the posts that hold the ropes that the ropes are hooked up to. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my favorite things. One of the little, you know, the magic of Disney, I think, truly is in, like, the little details. And that's one of the things, one of those little tiny details that you only notice because you put your hand on it as you're walking typically. And you go, oh, what's that? Oh, how cool, you know. So, yeah. Then you get onto your dune buggies and you go on the ride. But let's give you these ghost stories here. Uh, These ones, you know, one is, uh, 
supposedly in the loading area, there's a cast member who will disappear right in front of your eyes. So people have reported seeing, um, you know, there's people that kind of help you into or watch you as you get on, load on to the doom buggies. There's a guy sitting like at a little control station. You know, there's usually, I think there's around three or four people in there. So they'll see like a fourth or fifth person there. Um, and he's holding supposedly like a small piece of paper. He's like a younger guy, right? And at some point, you know, maybe you'll be looking at, huh? Do, oh yeah, what's that guy doing? And then he he like bends down, like he's gonna pick something up or do something like that, and then he disappears, gone. And several people have reported that apparently. So, yeah, that's fairly spooky. Um, also in the loading area, they say they'll see a guy, like an older guy with a cane, standing there, um, who's like out of place and doesn't look like he belongs there, right? Well, supposedly. And I did a lot of cross-research on this one. Supposedly, he was a victim of a plane. He died in a plane crash somewhere near Anaheim, supposedly sometime in the 1940s, okay? I could not find any plane crashes in that area in the 1940s at all. What I did find, though, on July 16th of 1952, um, a Navy pilot who, who was flying an F-2H1 jet crashed in Santa Ana, and his name was uh, Lieutenant Robert N. Anderson. So maybe, maybe that's Lieutenant Anderson you know, was like thinking about Disneyland. Maybe he loved Disneyland. I don't know. I don't know. This is before the mansion got built. And maybe he's one of the ghosts, the legit ghosts that ended up retiring at the Haunted Mansion. Who knows? So there you go. A couple of little ghost stories for you. So now you're on your little doom buggy. You know, the ghost host tells you, do not pull down on the safety bar, please. I will lower it for you. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's the other thing I didn't mention about the stretching room and stuff. Um, you know where he goes, of course, there's always my way. <laughs> and half the fucking crowd is singing, talking along with it. I'm like, can you guys just shut up? I'm like, just let me listen to the ride. I don't want to hear somebody repeating what the ghost host is saying. That's super annoying to me, by the just, uh, yeah, a little aside. So, yeah, so he tells you don't pull down all over for you. Well, you know, usually you kind of have to pull down on it anyways, but... Um, so now when you first take off, you go upstairs into the mansion, um, you pass an illusion of an endless hallway with, uh, the floating candelabra down there. Really cool. Um, there's also a suit of armor standing there that kind of is like moving around. Now, a little side note here, huh? In the 1980s, they, for a little while, they had a person, a cast member dressing up in an actual, you know, suit of like plastic armor or whatever and he would jump out at you every like maybe fifth or sixth doom buggy that went by he'd like jump out and scare you well they had to stop doing that because he would scare people so bad that they'd fucking punch him like they go oh shit bam like what you know and i go well that was i remember actually remember that from going to disneyland of the 80s when i was a, in the 80s when i was a kid um and i just want to say this is people this is why we can't have nice things because that was super cool. It was actually, he'd scare the shit out of you, dude. He seriously would. Um, yeah, we can't have nice things because somebody goes, oh, you scared me. Fuck you. Bam. You know, like, don't punch somebody who works at Disneyland, dude. That's, that's stupid. Yeah, anyway, that, I, I loved that. And they took it away because the guy got beat up every night he worked. He probably got sick of it, you know. So, um, it, continuing on, uh, you know, the ride here. On the left, there's a there's a dude trying to get out of a coffin going, oh, let me out of here, let me out, let me out. You know, and he's like pushing on it. And there's a raven on top of the coffin as well. Now, 
uh, Xavier Atencio did the voice of the guy in the coffin, by the way. That's actually the first appearance of the Raven on the ride, too. Now, the Raven was, at one point, he's kind of interspersed throughout the ride here and there. He was actually supposed to be the host, but they couldn't figure out the logistics of it, so they dropped it. So, yeah, there you go. Another little trivia thing for you. So from the, uh, they call that area the conservatory where the guy's trying to get out of the coffin. There are flowers and wreaths like, oh, it's like a funeral, but well, whoever's still in there is still either alive or undead. I don't know, something like that. Uh, You go through the hallway of doors or the corridor of doors, I should say, um, and there's that rad like spooky eye wallpaper all over. And that wallpaper was designed, the idea behind it was to give the mansion the appearance of like the mansion itself is alive. Now, this is what's really cool about this that corridor of doors. Like some of the doors are breathing, like the handles are moving, the knockers are knocking. You hear like um, things growling and making noise behind it. Uh, Claude Coates designed this hallway of doors. And a lot of what he based it on was stuff from a movie called The Haunting that was made in 1963, which is, I see that movie. It's a great fucking movie. What that movie is based on is Shirley Jackson's book, The Haunting of Hill House, which is, again, that movie is rad. That book is super rad. One of the scariest books I've ever read. And you, the thing is, you don't ever really know, is it haunted or not? Um, now, spoiler alert, don't listen if you never read this. Go ahead and shut. No, I'll give you a minute to turn the volume down. Okay, got it? Okay, good. Um, Shirley Jackson says, when asked, she said, yes, the the Hill House was really haunted because it's hard to figure out when you read it whether or not it's the main character just like having a nervous breakdown and freaking out or if the house is actually haunted. Shirley Jackson said, yes, it is. So there you go. But Claude Coates based a lot of what was happening in this hallway around this movie called The Haunting based on Haunting Hill House, which both are fantastic. I advise both of them strongly. Both of them uh, for you to watch them strongly. Watch and watch the movie. Read the book. There you go. Great. So the uh, the next thing. Oh yeah, and there's also uh, a, a few like portraits or paintings of like um, some ghostly like dudes and people like kind of around interspersed throughout the hallway. There's a awesome sign that says "Tomb Sweet Tomb" as well, which is one of my favorite things. I love that. So. Um, and at the very end of that, this hallway is a clock that is always striking 13. There's only one number on it, 13, and it's like a demon's face on the top of the grid. It's like an old grandfather clock. So I love that clock. It's super cool. One of the most simple effects in the Haunted Mansion is there, like a claw. The shadow of a claw passes by the face of the clock, spinning around. If, and I always do this. Every time I go on this ride, I look behind me. Oh, look, what's over there? It's just this, like, this cut out of like this claw rotating in front of a light that casts a shadow on the clocks yeah simple effect next we head into the seance circle area of the haunted mansion and this is where madame leota is floating around calling out to the spirits um to you know come out for you to entertain you uh there's stuff floating around in the air there's like drums there's a harp there's a few other things um, and then the Raven's back, you know, Raven's hanging out on the table. So uh, here's a ghost story from uh, this area. That's the, um, I got this one. This is from uh, Jessica Tessero of uh, Danger Incorporated. Thanks again, Jessica. I really appreciate it. It's a great story she gave me. She worked at Disneyland for like 10 years. She was a conductor on the railroad and did a few other things while she was there too. 
So really cool. Again, fantastic band. Be talking to them sometime in the future. I'm sure you'll hear some of their music on here at some point for sure. Um, and she's super cool for sharing this with me. So check out this story she gave me. She said, um, in in the seance room or seance circle area where Madame Leota is, there's a small table that's in front of the main, like the, the big table that Leota is kind of floating above, right? And supposedly this small table was a gift by medium or a psychic um, gave to Disneyland when the Haunted Mansion first opened. So that table is supposed to be cursed. Um, if that table gets moved, the, the ride breaks down and it won't run again until they put that table back. So isn't that a trip? That's pretty, that's interesting, right? I like that story. That one's spooky, man. Um, also, she told me another great story and this, this will, this will be this, I will kind of talk about the truly creepy ghost story of the Haunted Mansion, like that really kind of freaks me out. We'll talk about that at the very end because that's where it's the most applicable. But she would tell me that there, and this is something that's legit too. I know from what I, my, the research I did, um, there's a lot of people that try and dispose of their dead relatives at the Haunted Mansion by dumping their ashes somewhere on the ride. Maybe, you know, somebody like the ride lots are like, well, let's just dump their ashes here. Well, everything is on camera at Disneyland. Absolutely everything is on camera at Disneyland. And uh, they will catch you if you do that. It's very illegal to do that. And what they'll do, if they see you dumping it, and they'll see you dumping these ashes, ashes trust me, they shut the whole, they stop the whole ride, they evacuate everyone from the ride, um, you for doing that, they'll kick your ass out. They might call the cops on you now. I don't know. But at one point I know I was reading, they would just throw you out of the park. Um, now they probably call the cops on you because that's really very illegal to do that without a permit. And they'll send in a team of dudes or people. I shouldn't say dudes. I don't know who's on the team um, in biohazard suits to vacuum up the ashes. And that happens a lot, I guess. So, yeah, there you go. So pretty co- a couple of pretty cool stories there. Um, next, after you leave the seance area, um, you go into what is the grand hall. Now, this is where you first start to see actual ghosts in the haunted mansion as they were intended, you know, the audio animatronic ghost kind of things. And let me tell you how, before we get too into the grand hall, it's, this will be fairly quick, but how that, how they make that effect, because the ghosts, they're kind of see-through, Right. And they can kind of like appear and disappear. And they do that in this ballroom, like the dancers, especially. Um, there are a couple dudes up on these portraits, like dueling with pistols. Um, this is how they make that effect. Let's dispel a little of the fun and illusion. That's I want to party with Bob here uh, to ruin your idea of what the Haunted Mansion is all about. So um, the effect that they use is a thing. It's an effect called Pepper's Ghost. Now, um, Two guys really came up with this in England in the mid-1800s. Um, a gentleman by the name of Henry Dirks actually invented it. And a gentleman by the name of John Pepper, he had like a stage act, like kind of like a vaudeville kind of thing, where he used this Pepper's effect to simulate like making a ghost appear, right? So the way they do this, they, they place a, you place a sheet of glass kind of at an angle, like glass or a mirror, right? between um whoever's viewing it like we'll call them the spectators and like the uh an area where the spectator is going to see this effect okay so what the glass does is it reflects something like 
usually, you know, in Pepper's Day, what it was, it'd be like somebody standing there in a ghost suit in a whole leather, like, hidden area, right? And it would reflect this this kind of mirror glass at an angle would reflect it into another area. So what you see, if you shine lights on the object um, that you want to make, like, look ghostly or whatever, it'll be have this kind of translucent kind of ghostly appearance. So all the ghost effects or the majority of them in the Haunted Mansion are that. They're... The actual audio animatronics aren't out where the ghosts are like dancing around doing their thing. They're back in an area you can't see and they're giant panes of glass that are reflecting these kind of ghostly images out into the show area or spectator spectator area where you can see it all. So yeah, pretty cool. Pepper's Ghost, it's called. Look it up. I don't know if I explained it well enough, but I'm starting to kind of grasp the idea of it finally, you know. So there you go. Um, there are, uh, like I said, there's a bunch of ballroom dancers. They're having like a death day party. It's like a birthday party, but it's for ghosts. You know, they're all fucking dead. Um, duelists in the paintings. Um, there's a guy playing Grim Grin and Ghosts on an organ. Um, so, yeah, this is where the ghosts first materialize for you. Thank you, Madam Leota, for bringing them out. So, one thing to know, and I got a, a couple of, there's a couple stories here to go along with this one, but um, the only other ghost that has a name in the Haunted Mansion, according to what's written in the script for the mansion is a ghost other than Madame Leota, I should say, um, is a ghost named Pickwick. He's kind of a Dickens looking guy hanging from the chandelier in the grand hall. So there you go. Um, here's a little thing. There's a, I got a trivia one for this, this little area here. Um, you know, the organist that I was talking about playing grim grin and ghosts in the ballroom. Yeah. That organ that is used in that scene was a prop from 1954's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, uh, which they modified a little bit to make it look like it belonged in the Haunted Mansion. Excuse me. Um, that's only at Disneyland, by the way. The other organs in the other parks are the, you know replicas of this one. But they changed it a little bit. They put like the music sheet holder thing on top of the organ, and they made it look like a bat. So that got added. That wasn't from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. So, yeah, pretty cool, huh? A little trivia. You know, I'm, I'm sharpening your mind here. Tonight, uh, today, whenever you listen to this, I hope you appreciate what I'm doing for you, you know? I appreciate what it did for my brain. It definitely opened my mind up a little bit. Yeah, this is... A, I'm going for a bit here. I noticed because I'm, like, already powered my way through one of those beers. I'm working on another one there, you know? Like I always say, podcasting is thirsty work. It really, really is. So... Um, here's a little ghost story to distract you for a minute. Uh, supposedly, supposedly, when they were testing the Haunted Mansion, when they first, before they opened it to the general public, someone, you know, they say the story is maybe it was a reporter uh, going on the ride for the first time, had a heart attack and died because the ride was so goddamn scary. So they had to make some changes to keep people from fucking kicking off. Um, Every time they went on the ride, because Disney hates bad publicity, like more than anything else, right? So what a lot of people say is, you know, this reporter or whatever died when he went on the ride. They changed things so it wasn't as scary uh, to prevent people from dying in the future and then buried the story. Because like I said, Disney does hate bad, bad publicity, right? Not true. Urban legend and the reason that came up, that whole story. So this isn't a real ghost story, all right? The reason that whole thing came up was they were having issues getting all the effects to work together at the right time and everything when they were actually doing all the ride testing. 
so somehow this story came out that they had to make all these changes to the ride. That's what took them so long to open it. Or one of the things that took them so long to open it was because, um, you know, a guy died on it and they had to tone things down. Not, not true. Not the case. They didn't have to actually tone anything down. They just had to get their technical stuff more in line. So there you go. Good one. Now from the grand hall, you move on into the attic. Um, and as you start cruising through, there are a bunch of wedding photos and gifts. And now it's all the same lady in these wedding photos, um, but the dudes that she's getting married to, as you're going through, their heads disappear. This is a fairly new thing in the ride, too, by the way. Their heads disappear. Hmm, interesting. So as you're cruising through, you see kind of the shadowy figure that they call him the Phantom, um, playing like a very dismal and dirgy version of uh, Wagner's uh, bridal chorus on a little piano. And uh, eventually you come up to the bride, and as she's talking to you, uh, you know why their heads were missing? Well, she's holding an axe. So, yes, so I married an axe murderer, the Disneyland version of that story. There you go. Um, now, I remember when back, this is, like I said, a fairly newer thing. You know, it's a cool effect. I mean, whatever. Um, I am old school in this way. And the original version of the attic, there was just a bunch of shit up there. And there was a bride standing there holding like a candle with like a red heart beating and she had like no face and that was creepy as fuck man i remember always seeing that going like oh oh it gives you like the willies a little bit so yeah so a, a story worth noting though the bride i think her name was constance i didn't really focus on it because now we're getting like i'm getting into long territory here i didn't want to just keep dragging this out for you poor guys you know i'm sorry um the the fifth husband in the portrait in this uh, attic room his name was george and he was supposed to be that they made a little story for him he was supposed to be one of the original owners of the haunted mansion and he is also um the guy that was in the stretching portrait who his tombstone in the in the stretching room in one of the portraits where it says dear beloved george and he's got an axe in his head and that is supposed to be this dude so a little interesting side note there huh all right. I hope you're learning something tonight. I know I've said that already. Um, but yeah, I'm throwing a lot of lot of juicy tidbits out there to you uh, in internet land, radio land. Right? Yeah. All right. So the next thing you notice, you go through the attic and you come out a window. And the next thing you see is um, a figure called the Hatbox Ghost. Now, um, he's kind of right off to the side after you leave the attic he was there in 1969, but they took him out because he never quite worked right. So he was only there for a tiny bit, and they're like, they weren't happy with the effects, so they got rid of him. We came back in 2015, technology caught up, and they actually got it to where this thing would work great. And what, what he does, he's a ghost, he's holding a hat box in one hand, um, and his head moves from, you know, above his shoulders and kind of shoots into this box, and his head's like looking out through this box at you. It's really cool. The Hatbox Ghost has always been kind of legendary because there are pictures of it and all this stuff, but nobody it's never been on the ride. It was only on the ride for like a couple days or something like that before they go, oh, we can't have this, and they got rid of it, right? So it was a, a huge deal for like the diehard fans when they put that brought the Hatbox back, Ghost back. And one of the things about the Hatbox Ghost, when they, were, when they decided to put him back in, they go, okay, we know how to do this now. We have the technology, you know, just like $6, six million man. We can rebuild him, yada, yada. They were looking for um, 
information about the original character and they had a really hard time finding it like they kind of buried it you know but they finally found it his name it was listed as you know like the molds and stuff for the character Ezra um, slash um, Hatbox and Ezra is one of the hitchhiking ghosts at the very end and we'll get to that later okay all right so once you move from the Hatbox ghost now you go out into the graveyard in the very grand finale. So um, the song Grim Grinning Ghosts is just blasting. Um, you see the raven when you first start. The, your kind of doom buggy like twists around and you go down backwards down into the graveyard, which is like the outside of the house, right? And the ghosts are having a full-on party. Like they do a lot of the forced perspective effect is in is working here. Now Disneyland is really good at that. Like on Main Street, the tops of the buildings are actually smaller than the bottoms because it makes it look like taller. They call it forced perspective. So there's a lot of that. Like objects off in the distance are made like smaller than objects in the front to make it look like it's farther away. So it makes the room look way bigger than it really is, right? It's pretty interesting. Um, one of my favorite parts of the graveyard scene are the singing busts. And that's one of those busts. You know, they're the heads of statues, basically, whatever. That's what a bust is, correct? Uh, Thurl Ravenscroft did the voice of one of the busts. Now, he did a lot of stuff, work for Disney, too. He, what he is most known for, though, was he was the voice of Tony the Tiger. Like, they're great. And he was also, um, at the time of his death, he lived in Escondido, California, which is an area that I inhabited for many years. So, yeah, pretty cool. There's five of the busts. Um, they are known as the Phantom Five. And after you pass through all these little scenes of like the ghost singing, it's really cool. I love this part. You know, you go through this um, mausoleum thing kind of, and there's that last time you see this raven who's kind of like dogging you through the whole ride. Like, man, get get the fuck out of here! Like, the raven always kind of creep me out. I'm like, goddamn, he's like looking staring straight into my soul. That's not really true. He's a robot bird, but you know, I'm make I'm weird, superstitious guy. So. Uh, the very last scenes, what you see as you as you leave the graveyard um, to begin your journey back to the mortal world, right? Um, the first thing you see are three hitchhiking ghosts. Now, let's give you a little trivia about the hitchhiking ghosts. It's a pretty, pretty interesting story here. Um, they actually have names. Now, I know what I said earlier. There are only two ghosts on the mansion that have names. Now, what I meant was, let me clarify, all right? I'd make a good politician, by the way. Um, let me clarify. Those are the only two mentioned given names in the script. Now, the uh, Imagineers gave the ghosts some of the ghost names, and they wrote them like on, you know, oh, here's a mole, like Ezra is one of them. Okay, so here you go. Um, the names of the hitchhiking ghosts. The, the short bearded one with a ball and chain, his name is Gus. Uh, Ezra is the tall skeletal uh, hitchhiking ghost with a bowler hat, and Phineas is a kind of round-faced dude with a carpet bag so yeah there you go that's the names of the hitchhiking ghosts now as you leave that you know where you first see these guys hitchhiking you kind of turn around and the ghost host tells you you know a ghost will follow you home and you pass through these mirrors and every doom buggy has a an image of one of those hitchhikers kind of riding in the doom buggy with you so pretty cool you get out you get on this kind of moving walkway or pathway and you start going up and out of the crypt like you're returning to the living world right well there's a little tiny lady there who's saying hurry back hurry back 
bring your death certificate. Now, her name is Little Leota, and that is actually Leota Toombs, um, who was an Imagineer who um, is the head, you know, the, the, um, the Madame Leota. They actually named her after a real person, right? Um, that's her voice, and that's her image, is that little lady that talks to you at the very end. So I'm telling you to hurry back. So now, <coughs> here is my favorite and by far the creepiest ghost story from the Haunted Mansion. Okay. So at the very exit of the Haunted Mansion, there supposedly is the ghost of a little boy lur- lurking around. Well, let me tell you his story. So what happened is this, this little boy, he was seven years old, right? Don't know his name, don't know anything like that. Um, he apparently loved the Haunted Mansion. So when he passed away, and I don't know how he died or anything like that, um, when he passed away, his mother went, took his ashes to Disneyland and asked them, you know, asked some staff, said, hey, is it okay if I scatter some of his ashes on the mansion? And they said, no, no way. That's illegal. No, you can't do that. Um, but like I said, people do it anyways. So she did. She scattered his ashes. She got caught. She got kicked out, right? So what people say that when they're leaving the haunted mansion, they'll see a little boy standing near the exit crying. Um, fuck. Ooh. When the people will approach him, say, hey, kid, are you okay? Like, are you lost? What's going on? He won't respond. He won't. He just completely ignores you. And then he basically, like, disappears. And it's like, whoa, where the fuck did he go? Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. He must have liked Pirates of the Caribbean, too, a lot. Because supposedly they'll see him on Pirates, too. And what will happen is they'll see, like, they'll be finishing up the day the cast members are doing their thing or whatever. And they'll see, like, uh, they'll be watching the cameras to make sure nobody's on a boat. And they'll see, like, this little kid on a boat. And they're like, oh, shit. Like, okay, stop the ride, like, and they'll stop it, and they'll go, like, send somebody down to look. There's nobody on the boat. They'll bring them all back in. Nobody. So he'll, this kid's, like, going on pirates, and they say they can hear him laughing on pirate and stuff like that. Uh, so another story they attribute to, to the little ghost boy um, is one time a cast member, I guess, was waiting at the very, like, the entrance to the Haunted Mansion, was waiting in the foyer uh, foyer area for the next group to kind of come in, you know, for a cast member outside to, like, let the next group through. And she was just standing there, and she hears a little kid, like a little boy, laughing. And she was like, oh, okay, well, the next group's coming in. Well, nobody came in. So she's standing there, and then she feels a tap on her shoulder. Like, what the fuck? There's nobody there, right? And then she starts to feel like a really cold chill. Like, oh. So then she got the fuck out of there and said, I'm never working on the Haunted Mansion again. She thinks that that was this, the ghost of this little boy. So, yeah. Oh, God, that's creepy. That's really sad, too, though, don't you think? I mean, like, dude, a seven-year-old kid. I don't hate to think about that, you know. So, anyway, well, that's it. You know, there we go. Haunted Mansion stories. I hope you enjoyed it. I did. I enjoyed doing the research, especially. Um, it was really interesting to me. I learned a lot. Thanks again, Jessica, for the ghost story you told me. I, she has a bunch more stuff that we're going to talk about at some point, which sounds good. Um, they also, Jessica's part of a podcast, too. Um, I'll be running a promo for them and maybe doing a little something with them. So it's a great one called Nostalgia 
I'll just throw that out here right now. I know it's on Spotify for sure. That's where I listen to it. And they kind of talk about like what they did for their first one. They talked about the various versions of the mummy movie. Um, you know, the mummy from like the thirties, the one from the nineties, and then the brand new piece of shit with Tom Cruise. So, uh, give them a listen, not nostalgia. And it's Jessica and one other dude. And I can't remember his name. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm like, my mind is like wiped out from all this that I did on this podcast pretty much. Cause this is gnarly dude. We're an hour and 36 minutes in of me talking about the haunted mansion. Well, I hope you bared with me and made it all the, all the way through to the end. I did. I did have a good time doing this one. So, um, that's it. That's the end. So thanks a lot for listening. Um, you'll subscribe to the podcast. Give me a review. Rate me, please. I'd appreciate it. Anything you do will help my dreams of some someday finding a brewery that's willing to work with me and give me like a six pack um, once every couple weeks or something for free. So that's my goal. That's my whole goal with the podcast, by the way. I don't want money. I want free beer. So hook, hook me up. Um, that's all I'm saying. I'm, you know, I'm sort of kidding. I'm not really completely kidding, but I am a little bit. So thanks again. I appreciate you listening. Um, episode 18, the Haunted Mansion edition of the Spooky October Bobtober. I Want to Party with Bob podcast is now over. And enjoy this song by the fantastic, fabulous, and amazing City Mouse called Grave 13. Thanks for listening and take care. through your wake so many people I'd seen for so long they played songs that I knew you'd hate I could almost hear you laughing and if you were dead you wouldn't die I call us to pay for your funeral yeah. I call us to pay for your funeral in the parking lot of the bar we call home yeah. call us to pay for your Funeral. I don't want to fill your grave. I just want to pop it whenever I want to. I don't want to talk to nobody who not you. I don't want to fill your grave. I just want to lay down by your side. I don't even care if you're cold as ice. I don't want to fill your grave. Fill your grave. You
Solo. <laughs>